Welcome back to the Noel Kassler Podcast, episode 107. Brought out the trusty Martin, 68, 0018. Last time we did a 0017 steel string. This is its more refined big sister. With a spruce top. Thank you. Thanks for indulging me. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all the nice comments on the last episode. You guys seem to like that one. I appreciate it. Appreciate your support as always. Send out the t-shirts for the folks that bought the t-shirts. NoelCastler.com. I'll send more out if you buy them. And uh, it's good to be back. I was away. I was in Florida. Went down there to get some sun and see a Tool concert at the Hard Rock <laughs> Casino, which was a lot of fun. I doubt anybody who listens to my show has any idea who Tool is. And uh, then I went to London, and I just got back from London the other day. I was in uh, London for a week, staying at a fancy private club, and uh, down in, in St. James in Mayfair, if you know London at all. I'm not saying that to brag. It was just a trip experience, because I love London, and uh, I love all the museums and everything, and the galleries, and Savile Row and Bond Street and all that shopping and I was in I was knee-deep in it and Christie's was right down the street and they were having an auction of all of Mark Knopfler's guitars and if anybody knows me they know I'm a guitar geek I got a whole collection myself here in the barn and all over this house you can't see it but there's guitar racks everywhere and when I started doing this podcast I was going to pick a different guitar every week and I've only cycled through like half dozen maybe 10 different instruments so we we still got a we got probably 30 to go um or more if we're not counting guitars because i like drums i like saxophones i like flutes <laughs> i love instruments is my point and mark had this great quote he was one of my heroes growing up as a guitar player that strat you see in the background that's a 79 basically 78 it has the gray bottom pickups like mark Knopfler. it has that sound and uh so he was one of my early guitar influences and heroes, not that I'm a player in any of that kind of league, but growing up, he, you know, he had this quote, like, if you really love guitars, you love the cheap ones too. And that's why I collect Tysco and all these Japanese-made guitars, and he was the same way. So his collection, he had all this Tysco and all this, you know, guitars you could afford, 
you know, they all sold for <laughs> 50,000 pounds and 100 and 200,000 pounds, but they were all on display. There was 120 guitars in this Christie's auction and it was just down the street and I knew about the auction. I didn't think I was going to be able to make it there and I happened to just be walking by on this blessed day last Saturday and look, there's the auction and they had free cappuccino and I went in there and it was just tears came to my eyes as a little boy who loved guitars, you know, and, and music stores and guitars were like a sanctuary for me as a kid. You know, I, I had a few rough, rough periods, you know, one of which, you know, there was a guitar store just down the street, you know, or guitar magazines and stuff. And it was just, you know, it was a way to sort of like pull yourself out of whatever kind of, you know, bummer scene, scene you're in and, and, you know, look, look towards something, you know, if I can just, you know, if I can just get my hands on one of these and everything will be all right, you know, and, and, um, so it was cool to see all these guitars in one place is what I'm saying. And I was there in London to be a part of something very special at Abbey Road Studios. Some friends of mine were doing a movie. I can't get too into it now. But some people that are good friends that I go way back with and they have a, a sort of thing that's very involved in rock and roll and I've done some rock and roll type things with them in the past and they were, were shooting a, sort of the climactic scene of their film in Studio 2 at Abbey Road's. Abbey Road Studios, you know, where the Beatles did all their stuff, obviously, and where my favorite band, The Smile, just recorded their last album, which came out last week. Again, my audience probably doesn't know who that is. You probably maybe heard of Radiohead. It's kind of an offshoot of Radiohead. Kind of, it is. It's Johnny Greenwood and Tom York, and it's amazing, and they just recorded in that room. So I was like, I'm there, you know, and I got to sing these Beatlesque harmonies, uh, this scene sort of has a sing-along. It's kind of like All You Need Is Love, a kind of a recreation of that in a Spinal Tap-esque spinal, spinal tap film. And I, I don't want to give up much more about it. One of my favorite all-time actors is in it. A lot of rock stars were there in the room. And it was one of these very cool experiences that I promised to tell you more about when I'm able. But, you know, it gave me the excuse to be in London for a week and, and eat a lot of delicious food. London is such a good food town. It's such a good town in general. I would live there in a heartbeat. Um, so that's it. That's where I've been. And now I'm back at it. I'm back in the States, back to the happy, uh, blissful country that we all share at this moment, you know, where we all sort of work together and plurality is our North Star and we welcome others and, and we, we, we benefit from that culture and, and what it can do for us. And we make sure everybody has health care and everybody has enough to eat and, you know, there's not too much difference between the haves and the have-nots. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that ain't who we are anymore. It's who we should be, as I talk about every week. And it was nice to step away for a minute. Whenever you get a chance to get out of this country, you get this perspective, right? Because you get, you get a chance to not hear the constant, you know, Trump talk, which has just become an industry, right? MSNBC just spent the last eight months talking about Trump trials nonstop on Deadline White House, right? The first hour here, we have Andrew Weissman and we have such and such, you know, and I love Nicole Wallace. I, I'm not dissing them. I'm just saying it became an industry, right? Because it's cheap to talk about. You're already paying these guys millions of dollars to be, you know, pundits and hosts and stuff. So you just bring them on and they talk incessantly about what the latest ruling means in a Trump trial. These are, I'm talking the DOJ stuff, 
And then what happens? It gets delayed, like it just was on Friday, right? The judge, Chuckkin, down in D.C., basically indefinitely postponed the trial because Trump's strategy has worked of sort of running out the clock, waiting for the last minute to file an appeal, and, you know, hoping there's some sympathetic judges on the scene. And obviously there are, and it's working again, what he's done his whole life. And, you know, it's maddening. Thankfully, there was the E. Jean Carroll verdict while I was away. E. Jean's a hero. So is Robbie Kaplan, her lawyer. They both follow me on Twitter. I follow them. If you don't, you should, because, you know, E. Jean didn't have to do that. She didn't have to suffer, you know, what she's done. And she's a good person, and she's obviously going to try to do something good with that money. But, like, that's the only way to really hurt Trump is to go after his cash, right? And, and, and to be a woman doing it, because Trump hates women. That's his underlying dysfunction. Besides the drug addiction and the sexual predation, you know, and the sadism and the violent fantasies and all that kind of stuff, and the toxic masculinity, deep down, he's terrified of women, right? I don't know if it's because somebody laughed at his little penis mushroom dick when he was a kid. He has a deformed penis. A friend of mine who was a sex worker who, who you know, a paid escort who spent time with him said it looks like a mushroom that a dog chewed on <laughs> i'm not joking i know that's graphic um that's how because i asked you know after the stormy Daniels stuff i was like is that true like oh yeah it looks like a mushroom that a dog chewed on so i don't know maybe that's why he hates dogs because dogs hate him but uh you know it, it's some kind of like freudian like underneath it all just some sexual humiliation or something or feeling like he doesn't measure up that's why you see how angry he gets when women question him, right? You saw everything he did to Haley, Nikki Haley. You know, he, he, he won in New Hampshire, and he went out and just gave, a, like, vented his spleen instead of, like, doing what any other politician would, done, would have done. You just won the thing, right? Just, just be gracious, thank your opponents, and know you got it sewn up. He can't get past that, you know, a woman criticized him and called him old and all that stuff, you know, because he is old, because he doesn't work and he doesn't take care of his body. Biden's old, but he works. He exercises. He has a loving family. He, you know, he's the right kind of person. Obviously, he presents, you know, pretty old when he speaks. And clearly, you know, that's an issue. But you should learn to look past that, in my opinion, because, you know, the job isn't to, like, take in the crops at harvest time, right? We're not hiring him to, to lay bricks, you know, or shovel the driveway. There's people to do that kind of stuff. He's there in the White House to surround himself with experts and have the proper temperament, you know, to, to, to make sure that he makes the right decision based on what's good for the country, what's good for the people of the country, the most vulnerable people included in that, not excluded as somebody like Trump would do, you know, it's, it's like a conductor. You, nobody complains when you go to see, you know, James Levine at, at the Met, you know, or if you did back in the day, he retired, or, you know, or Leonard Bernstein. You weren't going to be like, oh, he's old. You know what I mean? You're going to, because he's got experience, right? He understands the score. If you, if you watch the recent film that was great, Bradley Cooper did, you know, there's a scene where he's teaching later in life. He's teaching these other people, and he has this nuance, you know, when he's directing this one particular eight bars or something with the strings, and the other guy's not getting it right because he's, he's young, right? And he just sees, like, 
the end result of the score. You know, he, he doesn't get, because he doesn't yet have the experience and the wisdom to understand how these things work in concert with each other, you know, and, and how you have to have an ear for the subtleties as well as the timpanies, you know, and, and the obvious crescendos in a piece. You need to know how to coax out the smaller moments and not overlook them, you know, when it's all popping off around you. That's what you want in a leader. You want a pre you know, you know, you know, you want a conductor, right? You want somebody who knows the score, understands the tempo, and has been there before. And, and Biden's been there, right? He's been there since 1973 in D.C. You know, he served in the Senate. He served under Barack Obama for eight years. You know, and uh, he's his numbers are incredible. The, I I know it's still hurting out there. I'm not making light of the suffering, but like the economic numbers that came out on Friday are, are twice what they were expected to be in, in a positive direction, right? Unemployment is at an all-time low, especially in the African-American community. It's the lowest it's been in 50 years. And you look on MSNBC or CNN, and you see like them interviewing man on the street kind of stuff. I saw something yesterday from South Carolina, and they interviewed this woman, and she was like, I'm telling people to stay home. You know, Biden didn't do enough for me. It's like, what do you think Trump's going to do for you? You know, you think you're going to be better off in the African-American community if Trump gets reelected? You're not going to be, okay? Biden does care. Yeah, you know, he's not able to do everything in two or three years, but people expect him like he's going to knock on your door and deliver you a pizza or something, you know? He's busy. He's not neglecting, you know, any community in the United States. And he's pro-union. You know, he's pro sort of consumer, you know, he's knocking down things that are designed to sort of like, you know, screw people over like the pharmaceutical industry does and stuff. Trump's going to let all of that just be unregulated again. There was a piece that came out in the New York Times yesterday about Bitcoin mining, right, which is just an evil operation. People set up these data warehouses where you just have a gazillion servers running. It uses a ton of electricity like it should be illegal there should be no digital currency it's a stupid idea run by scammer scam artists like elon musk and all these scumbags anybody who's trying to sell you bitcoin is not doing you a favor or cyber currency or any version of it okay it's a fool's game right but it's profitable because you can set up these mining centers and you can you know find the algorithms that'll be recognized you know by the bitcoin thing and scoop up some money you know it's it's hard to explain it all i'm not going to get into the weeds with it i've read a lot about it it's hard for me to explain but you know basically you can make if, if you you can make you know you can make a lot of money if you find these sort of errant you know bits of bitcoin that are out there floating so what you do is you have these servers you know and these you know software running all the time just trying to scoop this up and you end up making quarter million dollars a day or something if you, if you hit it but so that's very enticing and a lot of chinese firms are running these bitcoin operations in the united states and this article was about a former trump advisor and somebody who worked under scott pruitt right trump's disgraced epa head who was only into industry <laughs> you know so they got these two people and they started a an organization to lure chinese investors into red state america to start bitcoining operations you know so they have them set up now and this this particular article was about arkansas where governor you know snaggletooth whatever the hell her name is 
Um, I know her name. I don't even want to say it. You know who I'm talking about. And uh, she 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 passed a law in six days by the all-Republican like state senate down there that they just rammed this thing through that like despite any particular community's objections, they can start these Bitcoining operations, these Bitcoining mines. So they interviewed people who live next door, like less than 100 yards from these data centers, which, by the way, are guarded by guys with like AR-15s, you know, that loaded up when the reporters came to like, you know, write about this. The guy loaded his gun, you know, and was like, mess around and, and we'll shoot you, right? So it's under armed guard. They're doing these Bitcoin mining you know, Bitcoin mining operations and the noise and sound that comes off of these things makes it like so they can't even go outside. It's, you know, it's just like fracking or something, just another horrific thing that's horrific for the, you know, environment that somebody will make some money off of, in this case, China, right? Who, who Trump and these guys are always claiming are their enemy, even though Trump rented a whole floor in Trump Tower to the largest bank in China that's owned by the government, <laughs> still has a bunch of interest in Chinese operations in New York, real estate on 6th Avenue and stuff, the 5th Avenue, as I told you, like whole floor that he rented. He had a bank account in China when he was president, right? But they try to give you this BS that, you know, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden are prof profiting from the Chinese. You know, meanwhile, they're selling America down the river and this article was a great example is why i want to focus on it because you know the people in these red states are voting for republicans because the republicans wave a flag and a screaming eagle and we're going to let you keep your guns and we're going to lock up the illegals and all this bs that they feed these people that have been culturally deprived not all of them but a lot of them right because when economic conditions are such that all you have to worry about or what you have to worry about rather you know, is working, is putting food on the table, and you're going to get whatever food is cheapest so it becomes fast food and processed food and all these things that make you overweight and unhealthy and you don't have any health care. You know, the problems stack up, and you live in that kind of poverty. Drugs, alcohol, all kinds of other abuse comes into the situation, right? Then you get all the character defects that come with that, with that. you know, the anxiety and the anger you know, and the hopelessness. And then someone comes along and says, this is all happening because of these people, and I'm your savior, and I'm going to give you a gun, and I'm going to save you, and I'm going to save this country. And they fall for it, you know. Meanwhile, the governor, right, is doing business with Chinese conglomerates that are putting data mining centers in these communities, right, all over the place. And they're popping up all over America, in red states. They should be illegal, period. There shouldn't be any of them if we want to save this planet. California is about to get walloped with rain as I, as, I, as I record this. You know, we all know the winter we've been having. Like, climate change is not a theory. It's on us, and the Republicans are making it worse, and they're making the people they appeal to believe that it's not even a real thing, you know, or that their politicians have their back. And they don't, you know, they don't at all. And, and, you know, I don't want to get too into this article, but you should really read it because it, it's just, it's, it's an example of what Republican politics do, right? They appeal to a dumbed down base, 
you know, with these hot button issues that if you haven't been properly sort of educated and given the right framework, if you've been sort of brainwashed with some backwards idea of evangelical Christianity and you think Jesus wants you to have a gun and hate gay people, you know, and you're growing up with that sort of brainwashing, you're going to be susceptible, susceptible to this, you know. And there's a lot of demonizing of 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 that demographic right you know online stuff is like i'll do these car rants and, I, and i'll try to appeal to trump voters and people are like you're wasting your time they're all brainwashed you can't change their minds i don't believe that okay I, we have to change their minds we're all in this together whether you like it or not right you're always meeting yourself you can't just destroy a people and make it go away or ignore them forever right we see the intractable situation in the Mideast now that's getting worse by the minute, right? So you have to somehow appeal to something higher, you know, than, than, than the current political situation sort of, you know, portends in the moment, right? So I'm going to do my best to sort of explain this stuff in humanistic terms, and I'm never going to turn my back on a fellow American even if they, they vote away uh, in a way that I don't agree with. You know, people who know better and do that, I know a lot of wealthy people in New York City that support Trump and in the Hamptons, those guys are just scumbags because they know better, but they know the tax cut's going to help them and they don't have any empathy, you know, towards other people, so they just want more cash. Somebody like Elon Musk, who's now parroting all the Fox talking points 24-7, on his, I, I'm not doing Twitter anymore. I went back for a few weeks to try to do some messaging stuff on some emails I was getting from the White House. That's a White House Christmas card, by the way, on my mantelpiece. I'm proud of that. Um, but uh, he parrots this illegals, you know, that they're bringing in all these illegals because Biden wants to have, you know, the Democrats and Biden just want to have a base and, and full control over the Electoral College, which is BS. Right. And, and obviously BS and sort of base level xenophobic, just pablum that you see on Fox News every every night. And here's a billionaire, you know, here's Elon Musk, the richest man in the world. And he's repeating the kind of crap that you'd hear in a back room at a KKK bar on the side of some Dixie Highway somewhere in some God forbidden red dirt state you know, <laughs> that that's been manipulated since Reagan and Lee Atwater made up their BS you know, and appealed to the dumbest elements of white America. And then it was sort of, you know, it was, it, talk about mining, right? There was a cultural, you know, data mining operation that Fox News started, right? Because they realized Roger Ailes, you know, Murdoch, they realized, hey, there's an untapped market here. They looked at NASCAR and the NFL and sort of like the red state America that they felt wasn't being served by the elite, coastal elite, you know, news agencies, which is ironic because Fox News is on 6th Avenue right across from Rockefeller Center, okay? Those guys, you know, they're eating at Bill Bouquet and they're hanging out in Southampton in the summer. They're not down there at the freaking, you know, county fair in, in Mississippi, you know, whatever that famous county fair is. Do you know about that? I'm going to digress too much if I go into that. Um, I, I should. I tweeted about it recently. There's a county fair in in uh, 
Mississippi every year. It's at the end of July, early August, something like that. It's been going on for like 200 years and all these families buy these little homes and uh, they all kind of go there and celebrate their roots. But it's a very Southern thing, you know, Confederate kind of flags and the whole kind of deal, right? So that whole kind of market was tapped by Murdoch, you know, that this this sort of America that that wasn't you know, not that it wasn't being served, but it wasn't being manipulated for profit by, by a more arts-centric, you know, media. That, that was the theory anyway, but it worked, right? Because they started this stuff and it just took on a life of its own. And now they just lie to their viewers all night long and you got a million podcasters and all these other guys that get in on the grift, right? And they just free, feed poison into people. And the problem now is that you have generations of this, right? The guys I went to high school with that are, you know, we're in our, you know, mid-50s, early 50s. I'll be 53 in a month, so early 50s I'm going with. But, you know, they have 18-year-old kids, right? So what happens if I'm raising my kids with Fox News and NRA stickers and telling them that illegals are bad and all this BS? Because I don't know any better, right? Because I'm driving a backhoe or whatever for a living and I'm pissed that they're taking out tax dollars and I'm pissed that there's potholes and I'm not pissed enough to realize maybe the Amazon trucks are putting those potholes, maybe the F-150 that's too big a vehicle to be driving around suburban roads is adding to it, you know, maybe the fact that I'm driving a truck that gets 12 mile, miles to the gallon is adding to climate change, which is making, making my heating costs, you know, go up because the weather's extreme, maybe I'm not hip enough to get the big picture and a guy comes along and says this is why because the Dems are you know raising your taxes and it's your money and you should be more of a you know Republican you should be a libertarian what's yours is yours they're gonna come for your guns all this BS just complete idiocy right that you wouldn't see in another country not that there isn't you know a lot of far-right stuff going on in other countries but the kind of bs we put up with here is beyond the pale you know spending a week in london i didn't see one jacked up pickup truck i didn't see one gun i didn't even see any police you know what i mean and i didn't see not that there aren't problems but i didn't see the kind of aggression that we see on our streets i didn't see people flying flags off the back of their pickup truck or wearing trump t-shirts or you know american flags or any of that shit right? So my point is like that demographic has been so overstimulated. There was an article that also came out today about how Fox News's strategy is just to engage the people with anger because once they get angry, they won't tune away. And you see that with a lot of the social media influencers on Twitter and stuff, you know, guys that are supposedly Democrats, but they want your money. They want you to sign up. So they're constantly retweeting, you know, the latest outrageous thing that some Republicans said, you know, they're pretending like they're doing that to like, let you know about it. They're doing that to piss you off and get your engagement. Okay. They're not in it for the greater good. They're in it for a buck. I've met a lot of these people. I've done podcasts with them. I know the grift, right? The Lincoln Project ain't helping anybody but the Lincoln's Project. If they were so effective, you wouldn't have Trump as the number one candidate for the GOP right now, right? They would have done something, right? Rick Wilson is entertaining. I've done podcasts with him, but he's in it to make money. You know, Steve Schmidt is not going to save this country. He wants you to sign up and send him some money. And that stuff is popular, but it's entertainment. 
and it's not making anything better. It's not a real viable political solution, even though it's a PAC. It's a super PAC. It's the same thing that Citizens United allowed into our country, and it's messing stuff up. Because what it does is it creates an environment on social media where people become uber-polarized, right? And I know I'll get comments just for saying that. I love Midas Touch, blah, 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 you know? Good for you, but you're being entertained, you know? You're being fed the lowest common denominator. They talk about the stuff that I revealed years ago that they've known about for years, you know? And they pretend like it's breaking news. Trump might be on drugs. Trump shits his pants. Like, none of this stuff is new. It's clickbait. It's clickbait. It's not doing the difficult work difficult work of trying to educate that demographic that's being targeted by Fox News, right? They're trying to target fellow Democrats because that's who they want to fundraise off of. That's who Rick Wilson and those guys want to do. They're not taking out ads in deep red states. They're not going giving speeches in Alabama. They're going on MSNBC and they're going on everybody else's podcast and trying to gin up, you know, attention because it pays everybody wants their own media empire that's why i'm stopping doing this i don't want a media empire i don't want to make a buck off of you you know sign up for the Substack if you like the work i do there that's the only income i have you know i'm not in this to make a bunch of money you know i don't want to be the next big thing or your biggest source for inner you know news or something when none of this is news everyone's repeating stuff that other people are doing and and saying and passing it off as like their own information and that's terrible right because that's created this environment that we're in now where people get polarized and they get sort of this is my team i'm you know they ask you to put their name and your handle like what the hell is that you know that's about brand building everybody's trying to build brands and that's not what politics should be Politics should be people coming together to address problems that affect us all, not a branded approach. You know, it's like a football fucking thing now, right? Everybody's like, I'm Manchester United, I'm Crystal Palace, right? You know, I'm a Raiders fan, whatever. It's like that is, is making us lose sight of who we are as a people, that we're one people and that we're stronger together. You know, the two political party system was never as bad as it is right now, right? There was, a, there was an element of working together that now has gone away, right? There's a bill that people have been working on since the summer, right? An immigration bill to address, you know, the problems at the border, okay? Since the summer, senators have been working on it, representatives, you know, of Biden's administration have been working on it, and it was scuttled last week because Trump said, don't pass it because it'll make Biden look good. And that little, you know, schmuck Speaker Johnson, who I'd love to get my hands on his Google history, <laughs> you know, that guy said, he, you know, he, he wasn't going to do anything with the bill, you know. That's pathetic. Trump's not an elected official. He's a fucking indicted criminal. You know, who's now slow rolling the, the judiciary so he can get reelected, throw out his cases and lock up his enemies. Right. But the, the, you know, the fear they were selling on Fox News, right, for the past three years, the border, it's chaos. We got to put up barbed wire. We got to drown women and children to save our country. OK, well, here's a solution. We can make it better overnight. Nope. Can't do that. Right. So I guess it's not that pressing a problem after all, right? Because now they're willing to wait <laughs> and not sign a bill for another year.
you know? It's Jan or it's February now, right? So even if their boy gets reelected, you're talking another year before you do anything on the border. And he's not going to do anything about the border. He's going to get his buddies, you know, hand off some contracts to his contractor buddies and they'll get nothing built, but they'll siphon off all the money. That's what he did the first time, you know? in between his fantasies of wanting to build a moat around it and put alligators in it and all that stuff, you know? And put spikes on top and paint it black to torture people, to make them suffer. And they've used those people as pawns for the last year. Scumbags like Governor Abbott, who spent like $124 million shipping migrants to other cities, shipping them to Chicago and New York in the cold, as a joke, I mean, not as a joke, but as a like a heartless political ploy and a bunch of yahoos cheer that stuff on. If you took pleasure in that, you're not a cowboy. You're not a patriot. You're certainly not a Christian. You're an asshole. You're an asshole, coward, little man like Ted Cruz and the rest of these scumbags. Do you think a gun in a pickup truck makes you tough? It doesn't. You know what makes you tough? An open heart. You know, a willingness to protect those that are more vulnerable than you, to see in all of life the essence of yourself, to understand what love really is. Love isn't easy. Love isn't just loving your family and your children and your wife or something that goods, goods, looks good to you. You know, love is about difficulty. It's about loving somebody on the edge of night, right? As, the, you know, as Freddie Mercury sang with David Bowie. You know, I, I've told that story in my live show about Stevie Wonder. You know, when I did the inauguration with him, I've worked with Stevie a, a few times, luckily. And uh, when we did a, President Obama's inauguration, right before his first inauguration, there was this big concert on the mall, right? You know, it was for HBO, and Springsteen was there, and Pete Seeger, and James Taylor, and U2, like all these bands, you know? And... Uh, we had this amazing concert, and then afterwards, President Obama was like, hey, I want to meet everybody and thank all the artists in this tent. And I was, you know, in the talent department, so it was my job to help arrange all that. So I got in this tent, and it was crazy. We're taking selfies with Obama. He gave a great speech off the top of his head. So did Michelle Obama about the importance of the arts and stuff, and everybody was welcome to, you know, play in the White House. And uh, he said, now I know you want some selfies. Right, and I'm about to get real busy. So we're all taking selfies, and we're, we're bumping around. And uh, I bump into Stevie Wonder, and I jostle him a little bit. You know, I kind of bump him hard. And I said, sorry, you know, sorry, Stevie. And uh, I, I, it's Noel, by the way. We've worked together before. And he goes, yeah, but something's different about you now. Something's different about your energy now. You know, when he takes his arm, he puts it around me, he pulls me in. He goes, I can feel something's different. He's got these big, long arms. He pulls me into his body. He's got this warm, like, pear-shaped body, you know, and you're just getting pulled. It's like getting pulled into the sun or something, you know. And uh, he goes, something's different about you now, you know. And I'd just done this experience on the mall where I saw 2 million people showing up in 10-degree weather for change, right, to watch this country make good on a promise, you know, to watch its first black president and his beautiful family sit at the steps of the Lincoln Monument about to take his rightful place in American history. And people showed up with open hearts to watch that moment, you know, and the energy coming off of them was palpable, 
you know, it was love and harmony and action and what we can do when we come together. And I was full of it. I was full of that feeling, you know. So Steve's pulling, Steve, you know, Stevie's pulling me in. And I go, he goes, something's different about you now. I go, yeah, that's because I know what you're talking about now. And he goes, what am I talking about? I said, you're singing about love, Stevie. And the only way we can change this place is if we react to everything with an open heart, no fear, an open heart for everything we come across. And he goes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's the only thing I've ever been singing about. He goes, what do you do? I said, I'm one of the talent guys. I help get everybody in the room. He goes, no, what do you do? I said, I'm a songwriter. Yeah, I've always written songs. He goes, all right, take out your phone. I go, what? He goes, take out your phone. I take out my phone. He gives me his phone number, 310, blah, blah, blah. He goes, that's my home phone number. When this is over, I want you to call me up. I want you to send me some songs, all right? And I walk like 10 feet away because I can't take it anymore. At this point, I'm just like floating on a cloud. I'm like, this isn't even happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? I walk five feet away. He goes, hey. I turn around. He goes, they better be good fucking songs. <laughs> like, you know, and the thing ends, what songs do you have to send to Stevie Wonder? You know, I've since maybe written a couple that I don't mind, but nothing, you know, I got nothing to send to Stevie Wonder, you know? And uh, so what happens is I go out on the road, I'm touring, I'm in Europe, I'm doing all that stuff I said, like the Jackson Brown tours and the Crosby, Stills and Nash and, you know, getting involved, you know, things I shouldn't be, you know, backup singers and, you know, little kind of, you know, attachment, right? Not real love, but like getting involved in, 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 the, in the, the material pleasures and comforts of the world, right? To, to, to put it, you know, in, in, in philosophic terms, <laughs> you can fill in the rest, you know, but, and it, and it leads me not to happiness, not to any further insight or wisdom. It makes me busy and stressed out and, you know, this feeling of sort of wasting time in essence, right? And then next thing I know, it's four years later. And thankfully, President Obama was reelected, and the team I worked for was once again doing the inauguration. So I find myself back in D.C. Uh, so at this point, we're talking 2012, right? So early 2013, we're about to do the inauguration. I'm in my hotel room. I'm seeing who my talent is for the next day. And I look on the list, and, and I'm not in a great place, as I just described. I'm sort of depressed. I've been on the road too long. You know, I'm... I'm sober, but I'm not working a good program. Uh, so all the isms are, are there, right? I got resentments building up. And uh, I look on my call sheet to see, you know, what time I have to come in in the morning. And the first talent to arrive that I'm assigned to is Stevie Wonder. And I'm like, oh, my God. Fuck. Like, I didn't send him any songs. I'm going to be completely embarrassed. I blew this opportunity, you know. And then I'm like, well, I'm just not going to talk to him. Right. And he's not going to know I'm there. You know, I'm not trying to be cute. I'm just like, I'll just keep my mouth shut. I'll bring him to stage and, you know, he'll be none the wiser. And I, I'll avoid this awkward moment. Right. From the last time where Sting, you know, was with us and all this crazy stuff we did the last inauguration. Now I'm hiding from the light in essence. Right. Because I don't want to get found out, you know, that I didn't talk the talk. Right. So my plan works and he arrives and, uh, I bring him to stage. I put him on stage. He's got this guy who's always with him. He's got some settled. The band's already there waiting. This is in the basement of the convention center, this big room, where I also did a thing with Soundgarden that night and Chris Cornell. 
which is another fantastic story. I've told it earlier on this podcast. But so I, I get Stevie all set. I go stand about 30 feet away from the stage and he starts to play, right? And then he stops. And I get this feeling, like he stops and I get this weird feeling, right? And I look up and just as I look up, he'd called his guy over to him, Ron or something, and uh, calls him over and says something to him. Then Ron looks directly at me and goes, come here like with his finger and I'm like, uh Oh, like, do they need water? Is the sound not right? Like I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And as I walk towards the stage, Ron or the, you know, the assistant guy backs away and it's just me standing basically on this three in front of this three foot high stage, basically at the feet of Stevie wonder, like he's right there. Right. And he doesn't say anything and he starts to play and he's playing his piano and then he starts to sing. And he's like, where are the songs? Where are the songs that you promised me? Songs not about a love between you and me, but a love for all humanity. He sings that. And I'm like, oh my God. Like I get this feeling inside like Stevie's a realized being. <laughs> you know, same feeling like when I hug Ama or, you know, see a beautiful sunset. Like you just know there's something bigger in the world that <laughs> you up until this moment had no awareness of and now you feel it all in your soul and i'm like oh my god he sees me he knows exactly what i'm talking about and he sings it again you know where are the songs where are the songs you promised me not about a love between you and me but a love for all humanity right he wasn't asking me for the songs he was saying i i know what you've been doing you said you had this figured out and you lost it again you know and he was beautiful in doing it. It was a beautiful moment of just like how a guru or somebody can just, you know, tap you on the head and say, you know, chop wood and carry water, you know, you know what this is, do it. And then just sort of dismissed me and I went back and he went into the songs and stuff. And I, I had a, I had an iPhone, it was probably been an iPhone 2 or something. And I remember recording it because I remember pulling it out and just being like, this is not happening. Nobody's going to believe me and hitting record on my phone. And it's out in the barn somewhere. But the larger point of that, if it makes sense, is that, and there's some more comical stuff about the first time I did inauguration that I do in my set. Some of you guys listening have heard he got in the wrong van like when he was coming over, he just got in some random workman's van and we basically lost Stevie Wonder on election day, you know? And then this just like painter's van pulls up and I see like Stevie Wonder and his guy getting out of the passenger side and I run up to the van and I'm like, what are you doing? You're not the limo driver, you know? And he goes, yeah, I know. I just stopped at a light in front of a hotel and Stevie Wonder got in my van. <laughs> I asked him where he's going and he said the convention center. Can you take him now? I'm late. <laughs> I'm late for work. I'm like, okay, you know, this never happened, but thank you very much, you know? Um, that Literally, that's the kind of stuff that was happening. The vibe was so strong in D.C. But the point about what he said, you know, where is the love, you know? Not about a love between you and me, meaning not about attachment, right? Because what we do is, you know, I love my family. I love my wife. And, and you harden your heart to the rest of it, right? It's like Anthony DeMello, who was a Jesuit priest who also was, uh, it was Indian, you know, East Indian descent. And he sort of married a lot of Eastern philosophy with a lot of Catholicism, Catholicism and prayer and things like that and ran afoul with the 
Pope for doing it, but they have a Fordham University has a DeMello Spirituality Center. If you've never read Anthony DeMello, there's a book called The Way to Love, which are these meditations. And he did a PBS series in the 80s. He passed away in the 80s. Very hip guy. But uh, you should watch that because it'll help you if you're going through a tough breakup or a loss or mourning something because it really puts into perspective in very pragmatic terms a lot of what this journey is about, especially when it comes to love. Because we can attach ourselves to something and we get addicted to the excitement, right? And the approval, you know, in, in the situation I'm referring to in a personal relationship, you know, you're trying to please a partner, right? You, you know, I was involved with a woman that I probably, you know, probably wasn't a great mix, you know, at the time, uh, you know, and uh, it was probably ego or something that got me involved. And, and, and she clearly wasn't that happy and I was miserable. And you're trying to do things to please her. Like if she wants to go to a movie that night, I can't say no because then she's going to get mad. That kind of thing. So when you're doing that, and we all do that in relationships, you're cutting yourself off to the flow of love, right? Because you're not being honest with yourself and the other person. You're sort of trying to please them because you get addicted to the, you know, to the sort of endorphin and the insecurity of the situation. Once you do that, it, it, it's over. And, and, and that's not to say we don't compromise in relationships and do things we don't want to do sometimes, you know, to please our partners. That, that's different. You know, if, if, if your wife or husband wants to go to the ballet and you don't want to go, shut up and go to the ballet you know, or the Taylor Swift movie or whatever it is. I'm talking about in a more, you know, metaphysical sense, an overall view of a relationship, because we've all done that. You know, we've all, or many of us, you know, have been involved in things where like, you know, it's not right. And you never know sort of where you stand, right? So you're always insecure and, and you, it builds up inside you. It's like, if you've ever done acting, if you're not playing the scene, honestly, you end up holding on to emotion, right? If you're not properly in the moment, you get done with the scene and you have this like anxiety inside of you, you know, or stand up or playing music. Anything where you're not being honest and open in the moment is going to have a, an effect on your, on your being. And you're going to feel it. You can tune into this stuff. You know, that's what yoga is good for it. Working through those emotions that get stored in our body. But when you do that, it's a bad thing. And when you get addicted to sort of the rush of approval, it's going to have a limited thing. You know, real love is like, when you come around me, I'm happy. And when you go away, I'm happy too. I don't need you for my happiness. I understand that happiness comes, you know, when, when, when in our presence, but just because of who we are. You know, like if somebody really loves you, they want you to live your dreams and be the best version of yourself you can be. And they want to see you happy for no particular gain for themselves. And if you find that in life, hold on to it, you know, hold on to that person because that's true love. And, and, and I luckily realize these things, you know, early enough that, that you know, I, I haven't wasted all of the all of the blessings in my life, but do you understand what I'm saying? You know, like a, a real partner is going to have your back, you know, and, and, and is not going to provide you happiness in a way that you're using something like if you point to it, it can't fix you is the easiest way to say that. Right. And I, and I'm speaking about this stuff in sort of 
metaphysical, spiritual ways. Don't hit me with the comments of very specific things, you know, but think of it in terms of like love songs. Most love songs you hear on the radio are just like codependent, like if you really followed that advice, like I'm lost without you, I'm so out of love, <laughs> you know, like it's all, you know, because that's where you're writing from as a song. That's a relatable, portable emotion right? You know, that's not big picture stuff. It's pop song. It's three minutes. But if you ever, you know, actually listen to the lyrics of like 90% of the love songs on the radio, you're like, this is unhealthy. That's codependency right there. You should do some step work. But uh, obviously I've digressed a moment, but that's what I'm talking about, right? And it's that sort of spiritual change that we need as a nation. We don't need more people trying to make a buck off the riffs, you know, and I'm not trying to judge whoever you're listening to or telling you not to listen to. I'm just saying don't don't mistake it for activism. Don't don't mistake for-profit enterprises as something that's really going to make a difference because what it's going to do is harden people in their positions, right? And then you become unempathetic to the other, right? You can't dehumanize the MAGA people, as much as you want to do that, you can't write them off because you're writing yourself off in essence. And the only way this is really going to work out is when it gets laundered through the generations, right? And it's going to take a couple of generations to wash out the stink that Trump and the Republican Party have, you know, spilled and saturated the garment, the fabric of this nation with. Right. And I want to see less than less of that. Right. We're going to have to stop at a certain point with the vitriol and have some kind of like healing for this country. You know, I think Biden should get reelected. Hopefully he will. I think he should be the next president, you know, for, for, for a bit. And then we need like, you know, we need Oprah or something. You know what I mean? Or somebody who like can like get us to, to, you know, to, to recognize the trauma that we've all been through in the past nine years. And that's what Trump wants. He wants to traumatize us, right? He's been trying to defile this country. He wants to make people suffer. He's a broken human being. He doesn't have love. He doesn't love his kids. He doesn't love his wife. Everything is transactional. Everything is coming from a place of deep insecurity and hurt. And I'm not saying that to empathize with him. You know, F him. If you want to hate somebody, hate him, you know. But, you know, and despise the people who line up to work with him, you know. Despise them. Those cowardly little men like Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis and women, you know, Arkansas lady, you know, looks like she'll eat your fish out of your fish tank if you turn your back on her in your living room, you know, just eating live fish. <laughs> you know, like despise those people, despise the Kellyanne Conways and the, you know, Larry Kudlow's and all these scumbags who just went to make a buck off of the situation, you know, that know better, that know the destruction that he will, you know, bring to this nation if he gets reelected. Because he gets reelected, it's game over. It's game over. You'll still be able to live here, you know, us of an older generation. I'm not older, I'm middle-aged, but middle-aged and older, you know, a lot of us aren't going to probably go anywhere else and, you know, we'll live out our time in a, in a changed country. But the younger generation, the people that are born into that are going to have a whole hell to deal with if this guy gets reelected.
because like I described at the top of the episode, that bit mining operation, it's going to be that writ large, right? He did a lot of damage in his first term. Big Ears National Park, you know, he, he was on his way to open, he wanted to open drilling in the Grand Canyon, right? His big acceptance speech when he wasn't talking about, you know, what, what a, you know, what a horrible person Nikki Haley was, was drill, baby, drill, and everybody clapped. If you're clapping at drill, baby, drill, you're, you're an idiot, you know, you're, you're so disenfranchised with, you know, from reality that you don't even know that a huckster is standing in front of you telling you the worst thing you could want for your future, you know, and you're cheering it on just like they cheer on the xenophobia, you know, and he's got his little fools up there, Rick Scott or Tom, T Tim Scott and uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, like, you know, he's got these little lap dogs that are going to line up to, to pillage this country, right? It'll be game on. All your Scott Pruitts will come back, you know, all your scumbags from the first term will be back on steroids. And, and now he'll know that he won, not just the election, that we didn't hold him accountable, you know, in the judiciary, that the DOJ dragged their feet, that Merrick Garland was the meekest possible AG we could have picked. And for so many years, I've been getting comments whenever I point that out, no, just give him time. He's got him right where he wants him. He doesn't have him anywhere. You know, Trump should have been arrested the day after January 6th. In a sane nation, he would have been dealt with in that first year, not running out of time, and now we can't prosecute him because it's too close to the election. A normal place would have realized the danger we were in, you know, and that we had been given a break, you know. He almost got away with January 6th. If Mike Pence had gotten in that limo, I guarantee you they would have stuck him with something. He would have, they would have said he had a heart attack. Trump would have seized power and it would have been game over. I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast right now, or I'd be doing it from, you know, Mexico or something, which is probably where I'm going to go if he gets reelected. But anyway, or I'll sit, I'll sit here and fight, you know, I'll fight for the environment and the people and the children, but it's going to be ugly. And it doesn't have to be that way, but you have to realize what you're up against and you have to be very um, aware of what we can do in the next, you know, nine months to prevent him from getting reelected because it's going to be here quick. And if they push his trial date out to too close to the, you know, his convention and it gets canceled, then it's just a mandate, you know, and Biden will win the popular vote hands down and he'll probably win those, you know, six or seven swing states that it's going to come down to, but they won't accept the results on election night. I'll tell you right now what they'll do. They'll say, we won, stop counting the votes, you know, at 8 p.m. or something, Trump will come out all jacked up on, you know, Adderall and benzoed out like he was last time. But last time it was two in the morning and he didn't want to accept the loss. This time he'll say, I won. Everyone else is lying to you. The Dems are trying to steal the election. Go for it now. It's go time. Protect your communities. Protect this stuff. And he'll try to get all these guys with the AR-15s and the jacked up pickup trucks, you know, this MAGA army that he's been building. He'll try to get those guys to take to the streets, right? And they won't do it everywhere, but they'll do it in the backwoods. They'll do it in Arizona. They'll do it in Michigan. You know, we saw what his electors tried to do last time. There's a lot of scumbags that'll go along with it, you know, because they want a king. They want a strong man because they're weak humans. And they know that 
they won't be in trouble. They will be in trouble in the big picture, but they think they'll get away with it, right? Because he got away with it, and he's promising them immunity. So that's what'll happen. You know, that's my fear. I think Biden's going to probably win either way. I think they're going to try to snatch it. And the Dems have, you know, they got Mark Elias, and we got a lot of people. They have a war plan ready for this electorally, right, with lawyers and stuff. But I think we're going to need something a little with a little more weight to it to really uh, ensure the security of our election. And that's a scary prospect because that's not really our forte as Democrats, you know. And, you know, that's going to go right up against the Civil War kind of thing. It'll be like a guerrilla war. You know, I think they'll cause a lot of chaos between Election Day and January 6th when the vote is certified. And Mike Johnson already said, Speaker Johnson, he wasn't going to accept the results. That's what he tried to do last time. That's why he was picked for Speaker. And he's just a placeholder until Trump gets back. And then, of course, you have Project 2025. So you'll have all these 50,000 people showing up in D.C. to sort of take over their bureaucracy. You know, and if we're not hip to that doomsday scenario that I'm trying to paint you right now, it could get real ugly. And a lot of people won't have the stomach for the fight because a lot of the middle ground are like, yeah, I don't get that involved in politics. You know, my kid's got a basketball game next week. I'm just going to keep doing my thing, whatever. Let's let Trump do it again. How bad can it be? Right. A lot of people are woefully ignorant about how much damage is going to be done because a lot of people don't care about somebody who's not in their community and doesn't go to their church and doesn't look like them because a lot of people haven't opened their hearts to the point that they should. So they understand a woman and child coming across a river in southern Texas is is your neighbor. That is somebody you should care about. That is part of the human family. That's not a terrorist. You know, that's somebody fleeing a nation that was most likely messed up in the first place so you could have the way of life that you've benefited from for decades and that your fathers and forefathers benefited from, right? American imperialism is a thing. We did a lot of messed up stuff in Central and South America to keep the bananas cheap to put on your kids' Cheerios. You know, so you have a debt, you have a psychic moral debt to all this stuff. You just don't realize it. And the sooner you realize it, the sooner you can do something about it. And the best thing you could do about it would be to stop recognizing, you know, or stop accepting these lies. Stop accepting the people that are appealing to your xenophobia, to your bigotry, to your racism. You know, stop listening to Joe Rogan and all these schmucks that are trying to make a buck off of your ignorance and your anger. You know, any football player who tells you not to take a vaccine is a moron. Don't think that you're, you know, immune from science because some jackalope whose face is painted orange tells you, you know, it's all BS. Trump got vaccinated. <laughs> you know, he was in Walter Reed trying to get every treatment he could get when he got it, you know. It didn't take him, unfortunately. It took John Prine, right? Like that, you know, that, that, that's where it gets hard to, to like to, to reckon with karma. You're like, why didn't you take Trump? All these good people, a million Americans died, and this fucking oaf who has never done a goddamn thing to take care of himself, got protected from it, got special treatment when he got it, and the first thing he did after he got it was rip his mask off and, you know, tell people basically not to, you know, not to bother, 
anymore. And then had an event where people got COVID, right? He had that Supreme Court justice show up on the White House, right? The one who looks like the singer in Iron Maiden. She looks like Bruce Dickinson, if you're familiar, you know, the handmaiden. She showed up and it was a super spreader because she had just had COVID. So several people got COVID at that event. But again, I digress. Reject all this. This is what you can do, you know? And you can help people realize that. Don't come to me with just, you're not going to change any minds. Screw all those people. Because that's what I'm talking about. You're staying in an echo sphere and you're listening to your favorite podcaster and you're retweeting, you're retweeting your memes about how Trump's an idiot and whatever stupid thing you think is funny. You're not out there in the trenches in the little bit of time you have to really do something about it, trying to change hearts and minds. You know, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk. Talk is cheap. It's easy to talk about this stuff. Everybody knows how to talk about this stuff at this point. Put something on the line. You know, talk about things that aren't being talked about. Talk about the human side of this. Try to reach people because you're going after people that, you know, Reagan knew what he was doing when he defunded the arts and the humanities, right? It was the dumbing down of a population because, you know, as they accuse Biden, you know, as Elon Musk's accused Bidens of allowing quote unquote illegals and anybody who refers to another human being as an illegal, you know, verbally bitch slap them as quick as you can. Know that person's a racist. If they say it in a store where you're about to biz do business, don't. You know, I was in Nantucket in a ship basket store, high end stuff. If you know what ship baskets are this year and a lady said illegals and I was out of there, <laughs> you know, I'm not spending a dime in your business, you know? So my point is, you know, fight against that stuff. Realize it where you see it and use the opportunities you can to change minds, you know, to, to change some hearts. I'm not telling you not to listen to the stuff you're listening to. Listen to it, but don't make it only that. Don't think sending somebody money is how this campaign is gonna be won. Everybody's got enough money. Money is not the problem, okay? Biden, all these guys are going to hit you up for money every day. Give directly to the candidates if you can. Give into PACs is basically mostly used 90% of the time to promote the PACs. They want to make their own brand bigger because then they'll make more money. That's the gig. That's what people do, and they can pay themselves whatever salaries they want. These aren't NGOs. These aren't, you know, these are, these are, it's for a business thing, right? So try to avoid that. Give directly to the candidate, and uh, you'll have a better chance of affecting change. But, you know, do your own thing, you know, figure out a way to express the things that matter to you. If you care about the environment, to get local, you know, look at the local things that are threatening your specific area and find out, you know, what are the Republicans going to do to make that worse? Because that's what is going to happen, right? In my, you know, in my congressional district, we got this guy who was elected last year. He was a pro-fracking guy. You know what I mean? You want fracking, more fracking in New York State? You want fracking in Pennsylvania? This stuff is horrible. You know, anybody who's talking to you about energy independent is BSing you. You're never getting past Saudi Arabia, the world's largest supplier. And that region is on fire. And God forbid doesn't get any doesn't get any worse, but that's a whole nother episode. You know? You gotta think different. You gotta think solar power. You you have to think 
how do I get away from fossil fuels? How do I use less? How do I conserve energy? How to do all these things that matter? Every little thing matters. Every time you don't buy something in a single-use plastic, it matters. You know, that's how you make change, and you'll feel it. It's like I said before, when you hold on to emotion, if you're not being honest in a scene or singing a song or whatever, it's the same way in your life, right? When you make a choice that's wrong and you justify it and you think you'll get away with it, you never really do, right? It eats at you. It stays in you. That's why in recovery, you do these moral inventories because you're trying to be honest about all this stuff, all these resentments, all these people that did you wrong and institutions and all the ex-girlfriends and all this crap that you carry around that we hoard inside of ourselves and you put it on paper and then you tell somebody else about it and then you know you, you realize the constant theme is yourself and these broken parts of yourself your resentment your jealousy you know these wounds that 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 go deep within us that must metastasize sort of into habitual behavior usually to avoid pain and when you just sit with the pain it has a way of dissipating if you bring presence into the moment if, if you're completely present even in these dark things right you know and, and get therapy i'm not i'm not preaching above doing any kind of therapy there's no shame in getting help you should be examining yourself in every way and getting all the help you can but my point is those things we're afraid of those of us that tend to run away from stuff or use things to distract us all the time when we actually face it it's not as bad as we thought you know and when we bring the light of presence into it right when when we bring what I was talking about with Stevie Wonder, that magic that's beyond us, where somebody can really see what you're thinking in a way that you can't bullshit them. And they also, you know why they can't bullshit you? Because they already recognize the goodness in you, the humanity. They know what you're capable of, what you can do. Right? And that's why you trust them, even though if you've never met them, or even if they're a god like Stevie Wonder, or somebody, you know, at your local library you know, who's encouraging you to read that book or an arts teacher or whatever. You know, we all have those angels in life. You know those people that make you feel better. Even when you're an anonymous little kid and you're having a bad day and some old lady's like, look at that beautiful little kid. Aren't you a beautiful little child or something? You know how that makes you feel? It's like when you pet a dog. Creatures recognize love. They recognize an energy that's shared freely between us. And you never know whose life you're changing. A common courtesy, a little kindness can hit somebody in a way that it can change the trajectory of their life. It's actually those little acts of love and goodness that, that, that make the world go around, that, that make all the religions work at their highest you know, philosophy, not, not in the dogma that's used to control people, but in the essence, right? And the mystics that they're all based on. It's all love thy neighbor. You know what I mean? Get out of your own way. Quiet your mind and trust God. You know? And don't be a dick. <laughs> if you could just do that, like, right, the four agreements. We all know that, or you guys know the four agreements, right? Just do that. Don't make assumptions. Always do your best. You know? Be impeccable with your word. That's an important one, right? Because if you lie and you're dishonest, you're hurting yourself. You might think you're doing it to get out of something. You don't get out of anything doing that. You put another brick 
on you like that fireplace right there those are lies man those are those are they stack up and they weigh you down and even fire can't melt them right so don't you know don't do it in the first place and it's a good thing to you know think about trump a guy who was documented to literally lie like 35,000 times while he was president you know the washington post or whoever did that running tally you know, and it was like in the 35,000 times, he lied directly to the American people about something. Think of your soul. Think of, think of what his soul is like. He, he's a soulless guy. You know, he's a guy who would sleep with girls in Epstein's house. You know, sexual assault committed on trafficked young women that Epstein provided to rich guys in New York City for decades and was no secret you know that somehow the media still doesn't really want to talk about that's who trump was you know somebody who thinks nothing of abusing kids you know of objectifying his own daughter and then taking it out on some beauty pageant who looks like her contestant you know and i was there i wasn't you know i didn't see him physically abusing anybody or i would have murdered him and i'd still be in jail but i saw who he was you know i saw how sick a person he was and you did too, right? So think about that. Think of the four agreements. Think of somebody, you know, think of somebody so bereft of any common decency and think, how could that person have such a magnetic effect on so much of my country? And then you'll realize where we're at. You know, you're, you're at a time like in Germany in the late 30s where a huge chunk of the population is like, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's blame it on the Jews. You know, that's fucked up. You know, not, not a lot of people have to live through times like that. We're now in them. You know, we're in this cataclysmic, the whole world could change and not for the better if we don't get real serious in the next 10 months. You know, and you got to get right with yourself. You have to approach it from a place of presence. You know, you have to generate as much light as you can in your life. That's why I'm always preaching, like, write make art do whatever take care of a garden a plant pet a dog like be creative in whatever way you can be creative you know you don't have to be a master right you know it's not about selling the product it's about the emotion and bringing that light into the world it's like i talked about in one of the first episodes if you look at a fish swimming in the water and sometimes the light hits it and you see all its scales Right, they're all individual scales, but the light will hit it, and then there's a rainbow on the side of the fish, right? That just is magic. It just appears because the light goes through the water. We're scales. That's who we are. You know, we're part of a rainbow that comes alive when the light hits it. You know, and, and we all have a place on that fish, right? This vessel. It's all one big living organism. We're the scales. We're trying to f reflect the light. You know, make the magic happen. Make the rainbow happen. All right? So we can all know the storm is over. All right? So I'll shut up now. It's probably an hour of ranting. You know, the art stuff, it's like I said, you don't have to be a master. Like, I saw a lot of incredible art in London. And on my last day, I saw a Marc Chagall exhibit in a gallery. And this gallery, gallerist had spent 30 years selling a lot of Chagall's work and in the last five years because he knew their family he got all these like smaller pieces that were just stamped not signed but it's incredible stuff and uh 
it just blew my mind. I mean, he had like 40 of these things. And the, the way the light jumped off the page, it was like they were backlit. You know, it was like they were, you know, behind a projector or something. And they were just works on paper. It was just pastel on paper. But the color, you know, he's a, he understood color as he, he and Matisse, Picasso said, were the, were the two like men who really, artists that really understood what color was. You know, and I remember when I was a kid, I'd go out and I'd look at a flower or something, you know, and, and part of my childhood, as I said, was sad and, you know, missing my dad or whatever it was. I'd go out and look at a flower or a blue sky and I'd be like, oh, that's love. Like love exists. You know, this is a wonderful place. Like it just fills you with joy, you know, and in Chagall's work, you see that there, there's something about the blend of color that is just mind blowing you know, mind-blowing, so obviously art, and you look at the construction, you know, it's like he's just doing it with a black, you know, piece of chalk and a bunch of color, and it's a little doodle of his wife, like they're essentially just doodles, you know what I mean? <laughs> but the color makes them, you know, you couldn't recreate it if you tried. So, very inspiring stuff, I just wanted to share that with you, I don't know why. Because... Um, I guess I do know why, because of what I said, right? Just make something like that. You'll, when I get out of my own way and I, I do a drawing or something, if I'm not thinking about it too much, I'll recognize when it was truthful. You know, those are the things I want to go back and look at, because I'm like, oh, that's real. Like that, 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 I recognize something in myself in that thing I drew, right? Or painted or whatever. And it's something beyond the mind, you know, if I say, I'm going to draw a picture of a guitar or a landscape or whatever, you know, I do that kind of stuff every day to keep some skill, but like, or dexterity limited. But, um, what I, t what I'm talking about is when something comes from a place beyond that, you know, it doesn't have to be great. It has to be truthful. That's what people react to is the truth. You know, when you go watch a great play or something, you know, it's a fictional thing, but you're reacting to the truthful emotion that they're able to recreate, right? The, the reality, you know, even if it's heightened reality in a play, there's something you recognize in that, that you recognize in yourself. So that's why you should, uh, you know, you should be using every opportunity you can to, to affect change, you know? Meditate, do yoga, eat healthy, you know? So anyway, that's enough. I've been talking a lot. I appreciate you guys listening. I hope you have a wonderful week. I will come back soon and do another one of these. NoelCastler.com. If you want to uh, buy one of those t-shirts, I'll send them out. Check out Substack. Please sign up for that. It's free or it's, you know, paid. If you can afford, sign up. If you can't, you'll get the same content for free. I'll come back next week. I worked on the Super Bowl for a very long time. As you guys know, I think like 11 or 12 years, maybe 13 in all. And uh, I'll tell some of those stories since it's Super Bowl weekend. I got some good Super Bowl stories. Until then, have a great week. Love you guys. Thanks. Bye.